Good morning. How's everybody doing? I already said that, but how's everybody doing? Good. How many of you were able to join us uh, for our Vision Sunday last week? Awesome. Raise your hand. How many of you are excited about what we talked about at Vision Sunday last week? Amazing, right? Amazing. Um, man, there's a testament to what God is doing in our church. Very rarely is it that a church will go into a pandemic and come out looking for a home. Um, and so that's amazing. God is doing a lot with what you guys are giving, and um, it's just a huge testament to that. Um, so Doug isn't here this morning. He's in Missouri visiting his new grandbaby, um, but he will be back next week. And so we're super excited for this a sermon series we're going to do called Upside Down Christmas. But um, first, I wanted to just announce, I don't know if you've heard it or not, um, but last week we talked about how we put in a bid for the, the land that's literally right across the street, 200 feet from where we are. And I wanted to give you an update that we are now in contract for that land. And so that's awesome. Yes. Amazing. Amazing. That means now as a church, we can look at it, vote on it, and decide if that's the right where we want to build our home. Um, so God is doing um, immeasurably more than I think we could ever imagine. And, um, and so I just want to continue and encourage you to continue what Doug talked about last week, which is just obeying irrationally, giving extravagantly, and praying big prayers. Um, and, and so you guys are just doing amazing at that. But the Christmas season is upon us. And I know we're all going to probably spend Christmas a little bit differently this year than normal just because of the pandemic. But typically when we enter the season of the year, we all have certain traditions um, or customs or things that we enjoy doing. We all have expectations of what Christmas is going to be like um, and what the surrounding days might be like. And so sometimes our expectations are good. Sometimes our expectations aren't so good. Um, and we've all kind of been in a different situation where Christmas has kind of been upside down. And what I mean by that is when the reality of what happens is different than how we expect it. Um, and for, you know, sometimes, like I know around Christmas time, I always expect that I have a friend who's going to buy the littlest, tiny gift, but put it in the biggest box and wrap it in 20 other things. That friend is Kaylee. She's sitting back there at the tech booth. Um, she always loves to do that. And I saw a video the other day where this guy bought a Chipotle gift card and put it in a burrito and wrapped it, continue to wrap it, wrap it, wrap it, and then put it in a 65-inch TV box. That is the kind of person Kaylee is. Um, but I always expect that. Um, some other things that I love and that I expect is on Christmas Eve, um, no matter what, whether it's hot or cold outside, we live in Florida, we never know which one it's going to be. Um, but post-Christmas Eve service, I love to get in um, around the TV with my family, all getting like nice, comfortable blankets with a hot cup of hot chocolate, um, and just watch a Christmas movie. And so um, that was my expectation a few years ago I had when I went home to Daytona um, after Christmas Eve service at Oviedo. Um, and I was expecting a warm holiday environment. You know what I'm talking about, where it's just family and you smell the hot cocoa and it's so inviting. Um, but what I was met with was family drama um, and not so warm an environment. But luckily that was resolved that night, that drama, but that awkwardness kind of carried over into Christmas the next day. And so that Christmas was a little bit different than how I expected it to be. Um, praise the Lord, everything is resolved now. But that year my Christmas was upside down, Right? I had been expecting things to go one way, and they turn, the reality was it went another. And so I think this is something we can see within the original Christmas story. I think um, we see that nothing was normal that night that Jesus came, or the surrounding days around it. Um, but I think there were, a, there were a lot of expectations about the Messiah. There were expectations about how he would come. There's expectations about who he would be, and there's expectations about what he would do. Um, and so, But the reality of what happened is super, super different. And so I want to take a look at this upside-down Christmas um, and just look at some of the expectations of the Christmas story, the realities that actually happen, and what those implications have for us today. And so I first want to take a look at the arrival of Jesus. And so there were some Jewish expectations of how the Messiah would arrive. 
The Jewish people believed that their Messiah would arrive in glory and in power. They believed that their Messiah would come, descending from the clouds as a mighty king. Um, and they never would have thought the reality of what was possible. And so I want to just read from Luke 2, verses 1 through 7, which is a very, very common Christmas passage. Uh, but this is what it says, and this reveals the reality of what happened. Verse 1, it says, In those days went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the end. So this is the reality that the, Messiah, that the Messiah of the world came into the world in quietness. He came not in power, not in glory, as the world would define it, um, but he came in the most defenseless way and from the most unlikely of places. Born to a virgin woman in a manger, and in the Jewish mind, that was almost impossible to believe. It was impossible that the king of glory would subject himself to becoming a baby. It was impossible that he would be born of a virgin that nobody knew. Um, but on that first night, everything was flipped upside down, uh, and the impossible became the possible. And so, in a way that almost nobody in Israel thought possible, God was enacting his plan of salvation, um, not just for the nation of Israel, but for the whole world. And so this is one of the many things I love about God. I love that uh, God makes the impossible possible, but that he's still doing that today. And he's doing that in the quietness of our lives and in ways that we never would have expected, just how they didn't expect how Jesus would come that way. Um, and so, I, like I said, I believe he's still doing this today. I believe that today, through Jesus, the impossible things are possible. I believe that through Jesus, we can mend relationships that seem broken beyond all repair. I believe that through Jesus, we can break addictions that have, hold us for, have held us for way too long. Um, and through Jesus, all that is possible. And I've kind of seen this play out in my own life um, and in the lives of the people around me. One person I can think of is my wife, Kelsey. Uh, many of you know her. Um, but her family... Uh, by the world standards and world expectations, would have been broken beyond repair. Um, you see, so not Kelsey's parents are both divorced and remarried, but not only are her parents divorced and remarried, but her both sets of her grandparents are also divorced and remarried. Um, and so, uh, the world would kind of look at her family and expect division and expect tension. But through the power of Christ, as they're all Christians and have really worked hard, I've witnessed year after year as they have all gathered in the same room for countless birthdays and family gatherings and holidays. Um, and it's all done without tension. And my, one of my favorite memories is this past Thanksgiving. We all play a different instrument, so it's kind of fun when we get together. We all gathered around her dad's living room, and we all played individual instruments, and we took turns going around the circle um, picking different worship songs. And if somebody would pick a worship song, we would all worship together. Um, and so I can't think of any more beautiful picture of God making the impossible possible. Um, and he can do that today. You can do that for you. So what is it today that you need to bring to Jesus? What is it that you need to bring to him and say, Lord, in my hands this is impossible, but in yours it's totally possible? What impossible thing in your life do you need him to turn upside down? Is it a relationship? Is it financial? Is it emotional? Whatever it is, it is possible through Jesus. Right. So the birth of Jesus wasn't the only thing that flipped everything on its head within the Christmas story. In that day and age, the priests of the temple were the only people that really spoke with God. Um, they were the only ones who go behind the veil. So they were the only ones deemed worthy. They had the highest position 
of respect within Jewish society, but opposite to them were the shepherds. Um, and so the shepherds, you know, lived and dealt with sheep, and so they were considered dirty. They were considered unimportant. Um, they were basically outcasts of their society, uh, not even considered ceremonially, ceremonially clean, so they couldn't go to the temple. And so the Pharisees were the elites, and the shepherds were the least. And so if there was any group of people that should have known that the Messiah was coming, or any people that the people of that day expected to know that the Messiah was coming, it was the Pharisees. But the reality was quite different. The angels announced the arrival to the shepherds and not to the Pharisees. And this is the account of that in Luke 2, verses 8 through 14. And it says, And in that same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you this day is born in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory be to God in the highest and on peace, uh, and on earth peace among those whom with him he is pleased. And so with the announcement of the arrival of Jesus, we see that the least become the greatest. Those that were deemed unimportant, those that were called uh, unworthy, those that were deemed dirty, were the first ones to hear about the birth of the Savior. In fact, as far as we know, these are the only ones who have heard a divine hearing of the birth of the Savior. And it's not like just one angel came and said, hey, guess what, the Savior's born. No, it says a multitude of angels said, glory be to God in the highest. It's amazing. And so I love that. God is demonstrating in this moment that those who are outcasted, those that they deemed unclean, those that feel unworthy, God doesn't forget about you. Even if you feel distant from him, distant from him, God still sees you and he can still use you. Jesus himself said during his ministry, those who are well have no need for a physician, but it's those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but the sinners. And this is something he constantly demonstrated and lived out. In his life, you could find that he spent the most time with people considered unclean or dirty or unworthy. He spent time with tax collectors and sinners, and he surrounded himself with them. He surrounded himself with people who were considered the least. But why? What makes a person who is the least in society or least in the world considered to be great in the kingdom of God? And so I was trying to, trying to flesh this idea out this week as I was writing the sermon with Christy. And this is the this is the thought I this is a story I recalled. And so um, up before the pandemic, I used to go on a mission trip about once a year to Cuba. Um, we went to church a few years ago. Brad and I went with, along with some other people. It was an awesome trip. Um, but in Cuba, you'll find that it's like this weird combination of modern technology but hard hard poverty. Um, and so you'll find that they live in ruin. They live with little income and very little resources to get by. Um, very little means of food and clothing, but that they're super connected to the world through technology. Um, I was talking to one student one of the times, I, I was talking to a student one time I went there, and uh, this is what he said to me. He said, Elijah, everyone in the country is just so complacent enough to not try to change anything, but we are so technologically connected to the world around us that we just watch it pass us by. And that absolutely broke my heart. To know that nobody in their in their life were were uncomfortable enough to do anything about their poverty and their living situation, that he had to sit there and watch the world pass him by through his phone. But I'll tell you what, like those people who lived in that poverty, I've never heard a church sing louder. I've never, never seen people give with more faith that God will do immeasurably more, and I've never seen people talk with excitement about what God is doing in their lives like they did. 
There's things I, that they would talk about that were like acts of God for them that were just kind of normal for us. Um, and so one time I was talking to a pastor there. His name was Jordanus. And I was asking him, I was like, hey, man, like, where are some things you know that God's doing in your life? He said, Elijah, you know, praise God, I finally got on the list to have my knee surgery. I was like, man, that's awesome. I was like, how long have you needed knee surgery? You know, thinking it was going to be like a week or a month. He's like, I've needed knee surgery for a year and a half to two years. Where if I was to fall off the stage today and bust my knee, I could probably get surgery within the next month. But for him, it was an act of God that he was able to be put on this list. And so this is what I concluded, that the least are the greatest in the kingdom of God because they have to tip, because typically they have to depend on him more. See, our society and our culture tells us to trust in the physical things, to rely on money, to trust in influence, and to rely on what people think of you. Our society tells us you can exist without God, you can survive without God, you can thrive without God. But see, God flips that upside down. And he says, you don't need to rely on anything else except me. God says, you want to be great? Then rely on me for purpose. Rely on me for meaning. Rely on me to sustain you. You see, the Pharisees, even though they had religious and political power, um, and they were deemed worthy, they, they didn't rely on anything but that. They didn't rely on God. But the shepherds, tending their flocks, lived without any shelter, very little food, and very little protection, and had to rely on God to keep them safe and sustain them. So please, please hear my heart this morning. I'm not saying that you have to be poor to be great in the kingdom of God. I'm not saying you have to feel unworthy or outcasted. But this is what I'm saying. I'm saying that if you want to be great in the kingdom of God, we must understand our, our need for him and then be dependent on him. Today, so I want us to advise us to take a step back, to look at the grand scope of our lives, um, and to ask ourselves this question. Are we leaning on God? And if not, if not, then what are we leaning on? And maybe you, you honestly can't answer that question. That's okay. And then I just want to invite you during the time later as we worship to kind of pray that prayer and to say, God, show me, reveal in me, reveal my heart to me, oh God, what I'm leaning on. And if it's not him, ask him to change that. Um, but when Jesus came into the world, it was a promise fulfilled. Um, and I love um, how John put it in John 1. He says, you know, the word became flesh. Mighty God lowered himself to the status of a man. You see, the Jews didn't only expect that he would come from the clouds, but they thought he would, um, they believed he would gather every Jewish person back to the nation of Israel and that he would rule from there and that from ruling from Israel, that everybody else would kind of reap the benefits of his peace and his justice from Israel. Um, and so that was their expectation, that he would come and repair Israel. And, um, but I want to take a look at a piece of scripture that is about 40 days after Jesus' birth when he's first presented at the temple and this is, just shows us the reality of God's promise. And this is what it says in Luke 2, verses 25 through 32. It says, Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do him according to the custom of the law, he took up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace, according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, and for glory to your people in Israel. You see, the expectations of the Jews was that the Messiah would come to reunite their nation. But God's plans and the reality God was setting was much, much bigger than that. See, God turned their plans upside down, and through Simeon reveals that Jesus is not only for the Jewish nation, but for all people. It was a revelation to the Gentiles, which was non-Jewish people. So instead, 
of Jesus, Jesus being a promise fulfilled for one nation, Jesus is now a promise fulfilled for all. And so in their narrow-mindedness, the Pharisees expected that Emmanuel, God with us, would solely come to fix the nation of Israel. Um, the gods, but God's, like I said, God's plan was much bigger. And this is the reality that the Messiah, who the Jews thought would draw all Jewish people to Israel, instead drew all men to himself. Uh, but instead of forming an earthly kingdom, he began to build a heavenly kingdom, one that cannot be shaken. And Jesus, instead of collecting his people together in one place on the earth, instead said, no, I'm going to send them out to the ends of the earth. I'm going to tell of the goodness and redemption of God. And so Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us in an unexpected way to anybody in the Jewish culture, gave his life and rose again for all so that God with us is now God in us. So praise the Lord that his plan was much different than our expectations, right? Um, because now instead of having a single place where God resides, a single place where God does miracles and performs, now God does that in, um, all across the earth through multiple people, from multiple tribes and multiple tongues and all kinds of nations. And now God, God is residing in his people. So man, I mean, humanity really missed the mark with that, um, with what we thought Emmanuel would mean for us. Uh, but thank God his ways are higher than ours. And so this means that whether you know it or not, whether you believe it or not, um, Jesus came for you, and the promise, that promise is still good today. Jesus, Emmanuel, can come into your heart and your life today, and all you have to do is believe that Jesus is the Son of God, and that only through faith in him, and him alone, we are saved. So no matter what your expectations are for this Christmas uh, season, what the reality is that Jesus has made the impossible possible. Jesus makes the least the greatest, and he is the promise fulfilled for all. So as we respond, I just want to kind of ask this question, is what, do you need to bring, what do you need to bring to him? What impossible situation in your life do you need him to turn upside down? How can you be more dependent on him today? And if you haven't already, would you give your life to him? So let's just go ahead and bow our heads and just pray in a time as we go back into worship. Father, thank you so much for today. God, thank you. You are one uh, who doesn't go by our expectations, Lord. But you're a God who has a plan in action. And Father, thank you that you make the impossible things possible. And Lord, even when we feel unworthy and unclean, Lord, you make us great in your kingdom. So God, I pray today that you reveal in our hearts whatever it is that we need to bring to you, whatever it is we need to surrender. God, I pray that if we need to rely on you more, that you reveal that to us. And I pray, Lord, that you just remind us this Christmas season that you are not only Emmanuel, God, with us, since you are God in us. And so, Lord, as we go today, will you bless us? Lord, will you be with us so that we can be your feet to the ends of the earth, Lord, and be your light for the whole world, because you are a promise for all. It's in your mighty name, Jesus, we pray. 